If you'll find in your Bible the book of Matthew, chapter number 11, and while you're finding that, I do need two volunteers. And I'm not looking for just any two volunteers. I'm looking for the two strongest men in our college. So students, if you look around, maybe nominate somebody. I'm hearing the name TJ, so TJ, come on up. And I see somebody over here as well. Come on up. So we've got TJ. TJ, come on up. Thank you. Thank you. Not only is TJ strong, but he's courageous. I mean, he came right up here. And what's, what's your name? AJ. AJ and TJ. Well, this worked out great. Okay. Now, What we're going to do, have you guys ever heard of something called the electric chair? You've heard of that before? If you've never heard of the electric chair, okay, uh, it's an exercise. Um, you typically find a flat surface like a wall, and you put your back on the wall, and then you do like this, okay? So it's kind of like you're sitting in a chair, but there's no chair there. Your back is on a wall, your legs are parallel to the floor, your arms are parallel to your legs, and the point of the exercise is to really see how long you can last. It puts your body under a lot of a stress and strain and burden. By the way, are there any college students today who are under a lot of stress? You have finals next week or midterms next week or something next week, don't you? No? That's what Dr. Getz told me in the, in the ready room. Maybe they're, they're, they're pop midterms. But we're going to do that. So I think we can do it right here on the, on the pulpit. And so what I want you to do, if you, if you put your backs together at the same time, you'll sandwich this pulpit and it won't go anywhere. If you get it wrong, you're going to fall off. So TJ on one side, AJ on the other side. And you're going to put your backs right up against this. Okay, so go ahead and do that. And lean into it at the same time. Okay, TJ, you need to get down there. Okay, put your, put your back against the side. Go ahead, TJ. Back's against the side. Okay. Legs straight out. Arms straight out above your legs. These guys are figuring it out. Go ahead, TJ. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Put your arms up, TJ, now. You're going to have to hold it out, okay? Now, while these guys are figuring that out, go to your Bible, to Matthew chapter 11. <laughs> and verse 28. And notice that the Bible's... Are you doing okay? <laughs> Keep your arms out now. Keep them out and up. Matthew 11, verse 28 says this. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The world's way of handling stress and strain and burden is just like what we're seeing up here. To power through it, to find a way within ourselves to dig deep and overcome it, to maybe use a substance or an outlet of some way 
that I can hold on just a little bit longer. TJ, you doing okay? I'm slipping. But just as TJ said, I'm slipping. <laughs> and that's the way of all mankind and, and all life. If we try to do it within ourselves, we're going to slip. We're going to fail. You guys did a good job. You can go, okay? <laughs> now, don't go too far because I'm going to call you back up at the end, right? So you two guys will come up at the end. That's exactly how life is. If we're going to do it our own self, we are destined to fail. There's only so long you can hold out. I don't care who the strongest guy in the class is. If you try to power through life, it's just like being in that electric chair. You can hold out for a little while. Uh, I read an article just uh, last week about a 62-year-old retired Marine officer who did the world's record for holding the plank position. Eight hours, ten minutes in the plank position set the Guinness Book World Record. That's a long time in the plank position. What do you do for eight hours and 12 minutes? But even he, after eight hours and 12 minutes, failed. His body failed. He collapsed. And if you and I are going to go through life handling stress, whether it be midterms, finals, whether it be balancing a job and college, whatever it would be, our, our financial situation, paying our bills, whatever it would be, if we're going to go through life and try to power through it, we are destined to fail and to fall apart, and stress will overcome us. But we see in the Bible another way. And I want you to understand, okay, Christ uses the word yoke here. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, I stop right there and I ask the question, why did he use the word yoke? I mean, if life is like this, what TJ and AJ did, and I'm yoked to the stress and the burden of life, why on earth would I want another yoke? Why would I add something else to my life? He says, take my yoke upon you. Here's yet another thing that's a burden. Why did he use the word yoke? A yoke is a symbol of bondage and labor. A yoke is a piece of a wood, a crossbar that would go between two beasts of burden, whether they be oxen or donkeys or whatever they would be, this crossbar that's going to uh, chain them together. It's an image of slavery. Why would Christ use the term yoke? Why would I want to be a slave to something else in my life? Why would I want to be a beast of burden? It's heavy. It's cumbersome. It's rough. To be under a yoke is to be burdened and limited and stressed. And the world's way is to power through and do it on our own, to take the yoke of life and to, to drag it as far as we can, but there's real no joy, no peace, no contentment, no fulfillment in that kind of life. And we can get it so far, but you ever heard of a midlife crisis? Why do those things exist? Because we can drag that yoke of life so far, but then we ultimately fail and we give up and we see it's not meaningful at all. And so Christ uses this term... And I think we can break this verse down, these verses down a little bit, and understand what is it about Christ's yoke that is special? And why would I want to take it upon myself? And so let's have a word of prayer, and then let's look through this passage together. Father, I thank you for West Coast Baptist College, and I thank you for the stance on the truth of your word and the training that we receive here to go forth from this place and be laborers in God's harvest and I pray for all of the students here that as we go through the Bible today and we look at this famous passage of Scripture, that, Lord, you would help us to understand what a yoke is 
why your yoke is easy and light, why your burden is something that can help us. And Father, I pray that this message would be a blessing to all who hear it today, in my own life also, as we follow through in our journey with you. And it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. The first thing I want you to see as we break this down is that everybody is yoked to something. Everybody is yoked to something. Let's look at this passage in, in, the, in the greater context here. So if we go back up, verse 20 down through, through verse 24, the Bible says this, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. So Jesus has finished teaching his disciples, and now he's speaking to the multitude. He's going to go through their cities and preach, and he's speaking to the multitudes, and he's telling them, in all of the cities where I've done great works, and you're not repenting, you're not receiving me, it's going to be better in the judgment for some of these Gentile nations that haven't seen these things because of the hardness of your heart. He began to upbraid these cities. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. It'd be kind of like saying, before we let this just go by the wayside, consider the impact of what he's saying and to who he's saying it. It'd be kind of like saying to our church, a place where there should be, of all places, the most spiritual people, the most holy people, the people who really get it. It'd be like saying to that crowd and saying, look, woe unto you, Lancaster Baptist Church, because if the miracles that were done on this campus were done down in Los Angeles, they would have repented a long time ago. That's a bold statement. He's talking to a religious crowd who think they had it figured out, and he says, woe unto you, because you've rejected. You've, you've missed the bigger picture, and it would be better for the heathen than for you. Look what else he says. Verse 23, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, you shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, think about that, where we get the term Sodomite. If the works were done in Sodom, this great wicked place, in the day of judgment, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. This is turning their view upside down. This is a great rebuke against these people. And so it's within that greater context that Christ comes and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. In other words, these religious Jews were burdened and heavy laden and under a great religious system, works-based religious system that was wearing them down and burning them out and stressing them out, and yet they're missing the greater picture. This is the context. See, they rejected him because they were yoked to something else. And everybody is yoked to something. And we have to consider this morning, what are you yoked to? And what am I yoked to, even within my Christian life that is seemingly good on the outside, but is actually hindering my walk with the Lord? These people were not bad people. In fact, they looked holy, they looked spiritual, they looked right on the outside, but they were yoked to something that was hindering who they could have been in Christ. And in fact, they missed the boat altogether. Romans 10, 1 through 3 says, Brethren... My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, notice this, that they have a zeal of God, 
Oh, they're very enthusiastic. Oh, there is great zealousness in what they're going about doing. They have a zeal for God. It's not even for the wrong thing. It is for God. It is a zeal. But, Paul says, not according to knowledge. Have you ever been zealous for something but lacked the knowledge? I think when I first got into ministry, there were a lot of things I was zealous for, but I didn't have the knowledge to back it up. And maybe you can understand that, or there's a time in your life that way. These Jewish people were zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In Galatians 2, Paul wrote, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And yet you find this great Jewish crowd that Jesus is speaking of, they're yoked to that law. They're yoked to building their own righteousness. What are you doing right now? in your life that is building up righteousness in the place of the righteousness of Christ. Everybody's yoked to something. Consider Martha and Mary. If you remember that story in the New Testament, Jesus has come. Martha, the Bible says this, is cumbered about with much service. And she's busy around the house getting things ready for the Lord. She's cooking and cleaning and doing all this. And she, in fact, wants Jesus to rebuke her sister, Mary, because Mary's not doing anything. Mary's sitting there with Jesus. And yet Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, Martha, you missed the best thing. Mary is here with me. You only have me once. And yet you're yoked to getting the house ready and doing these other things and making sure it's perfect, building up your righteousness, we might say. You're yoked to that, that you're missing the bigger point. What in your life are you missing the bigger point on because you're yoked to something else, something less superior? See, everybody is yoked to something. And before we say this about ourselves, that, well, that's the Pharisees. That's the religious crowd that he was speaking to. That doesn't apply to me today as a Christian. I mean, I'm not a legalist at all. I, I, I'm not putting anything in place of Christ. I'm saved by Christ. But we have to understand that in the realm of legalism, there are some things that even we do as Christians that make us look good on the outside, but yet don't allow us to grow on the inside. Before we say it's that way, we have to understand, you know, why, what are our motives? And why, for instance, are we even here this morning? Why do we attend West Coast Baptist College? Why are we in chapel this morning? Why are we wearing a tie or a skirt? Or why do we attend Sunday school? Why do we read our Bible? Why do we go to church three times a week? Why do we do these things? If we're not careful, we begin to operate on a mode of what others would expect or what others would think or what others want and not on the mode of what Christ would want. Now, none of those things are bad. They're all good. And there are things that you should do. You should wear a tie and a skirt. Not the same person. Okay. <laughs> Girls, you should wear a skirt. Guys, you should wear a tie. You should follow the rules of your college. Uh, you should attend church when the doors are open. You should read your Bible every day. You should do these things. But we have to understand what is the motivation for doing them. Because oftentimes in the Christian life, the motivation is more important than the actual doing of it. 
And if the motivation is wrong, you can do all the great things you want, but it's all for naught. And in fact, one of the greatest inhibitors to your Christian growth is doing the right things for the wrong reason. Looking right on the, on the outside, but not having the true root, the true growth on the inside. My, my grandmother growing up had uh, a basket of fake fruit that would sit on her counter. And for some reason, in my memory, that, that basket of fake fruit always sat next to a basket of real fruit. I don't know why she did that. But from like 50 feet, they looked the exact same. The real fruit, an apple, a banana, some grapes, and the fake fruit. It's only when you got closer to it that you notice that the fake fruit, the grapes were kind of rubbery, there's dust on the apple. You get up to it, you can see the seams that are on the banana, the plastics pressed together. From a distance, they look the same, but as you get closer, they're not the same. The fake fruit is manufactured. There's a factory, a process, some machinery that assembles it, and it looks the same. But the real fruit always comes from a real life. The real fruit comes from a tree, and by nature of the tree, just being planted and grounded and rooted and having the right environment puts forth good fruit. And if we're not careful, just like these Jewish people, we, we can make sure the outside's right. We can have a system to manufacture the same outward appearance, but internally we're fake. Internally, we've never, we've never grown as a Christian. We've never been genuine with Christ. We don't have the, the real, genuine walk. The real thing is going to come from being rooted and grounded in Christ, allowing the tree to grow naturally, and being genuinely who we are before the Lord and before others. And as that tree grows, then the natural fruit is put out. It's only in the real fruit that there's real nutrients and there's real value. And if we're not careful, we can confuse those two things. The number one inhibitor of your growth with the Lord is doing things from an improper motivation, faking it outward, but on the inside, falling apart. And if you want to be stressed and burdened in life, go yoke yourself to that system. Go yoke yourself to legalism. Go yoke yourself to trying to fake it till you make it. That's not what Christ is talking about here. His yoke has nothing to do with that. In fact, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, notice what Paul writes, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free, and be not entangled again, notice what he says, with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So what are you yoked to this morning? Everybody's yoked to something. But I want you to notice, secondly, Christ has a yoke too. So look in verse 29 and 30. Notice what Christ does not say. So if this concept over here of legalism, of looking right on the outside, of uh, having it all together, but inwardly we're not truly who we think we are, this whole thing over here, if this is stress and burden and, and a yoke that is leading us away from Christ, if this is wrong, notice what Christ does not say. He does not come over here and say, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, who are stressed, who are burdened, and I will give you complete freedom to do whatever you want. 
That's not what he says. Look what he says in verse 29. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. See, everybody's yoked to something, but Christ has a yoke too. And the answer to this over here is not to run to the far extreme of grace and to say, I will eat, drink, do whatever I want to do because it's all under the blood of Christ, and I am now free. Legalism is not the answer. And this position of license is not the answer. Christ has a yoke for us too. I mean, I read that and I feel like I sh Christ should have said, come on, come unto me. I'll take your yoke off. You're going to be completely free to be the person that you want to be. But that's not what he said. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5. For brethren, even called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, and this is interesting, but by love, serve one another. Use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love, serve one another. In other words, there's work that Christ wants to be done. And it's not complete freedom to do what you want to do, Christ has a yoke too. There's this middle way that he's calling us to. By love, serve one another. See, if you run to this extreme and you, you yoke yourself to some system, you're going to miss the boat. But if you run to this extreme, look, freedom is not all it's cracked up to be. Because if you run to this extreme, you might not be yoked to a legal system, but you're going to be yoked to sin real quick. Go out in our community today and you're going to see all kinds of people who are yoked to the sin of alcoholism, the sin of homosexuality. They're yoked to debt, to their mortgage. They're yoked to cigarettes, pornography. They're yoked to their stress. They're yoked to their anxiety. They're yoked to depression. They're yoked to an ex-love. There's all kinds of things that are yoking people out here in this area called license. And it's ruining their lives. And just as there's stress and burden over there, there's all kinds of stress and burden over here. It's a different kind of thing. And if you want to see somebody who has wrecked their life, you can go out and find, find pictures of people who are addicted to methamphetamines as an extreme example. There are people who have experimented with drugs, maybe tried marijuana one day, and the next thing that led to the next thing, and next thing you know, they're on this hard drug called meth. And in a matter of years who was a healthy, vibrant person. You can look at pictures of this process. In a matter of years, it's not even recognizable because of the burden of sin. Because I'm going to go out and live my life in this area of license and do whatever I want to do. The answer is not legalism, and the answer is not license. Christ has a yoke too. Michael Forgione was a friend of mine. We served together on the 13th Marine Expeditionary Unit. We went to Iraq together. Uh, we were really good friends. We were roommates for a while in a barracks right down here on Camp Pendleton. And Michael was just 24 years old when he died. Michael wasn't killed in combat. Michael was honorably discharged from the United States Marine Corps. He went back to Philadelphia where he was born and raised. In his time during the Marine Corps, he picked up a sin. He was kind of living in this area of license. 
and he picked up the sin of alcoholism. And Michael could never get enough to drink. And he carried that with him. And he went to Philadelphia, and he, and he carried on. He was yoked, he was chained to alcohol. And one night, Michael spent too long at a bar, and he decided to go home on his way, went by himself, took a shortcut across some railroad tracks, and was struck by a, a train at the age of 24 and killed. Michael had a great life up to that point. He served his country honorably. He was the friendliest guy you'd ever met. If you could have pictured who this would have happened to, it wouldn't have been Michael Forgione. But the yoke of sin took his life, ruined his family, and if Michael could do it all over again, I think he'd tell you, friends, don't come over here and get yoked to license. Don't come over here and get yoked to legalism, but find Christ's yoke. Because Christ has a yoke too. The sin that starts by serving us quickly becomes our master, and we will find ourselves serving it. That's why in Hebrews 12, Paul again writes, Wherefore we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Did you get that? Every weight, every yoke, every burden. And the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, Christ has work to get done, too. He has a yoke, too. Now, I need my two strongest guys to come back up. Because we've got to go back to this question of why Christ chose the word yoke. And if yoke has a negative connotation, it means slavery, it's a picture of uh, bondage, all of these negative things, why would Christ use it? So I've put over here, off to the side, uh, I went over to our weight room and I, I raided the weight room a little bit. And uh, I've got 135 pounds over here. Okay? And honestly, 135 pounds is a lot of weight. And I can actually pick this up, but I can't carry it very far. And if I was given the task of, Brother Ewing, take this 135 pounds to the Walther Center, I wouldn't make it. I could get it up, but by myself, boy, I'm going to be dragging this a long way. I'll ruin the wood floor up here. pastor will never let me come up here again. <laughs> now, if I had somebody to help, I bet these two guys could probably pick this up. Uh, guys, just try it individually here. TJ, grab both of those, see if you can pick it up. Now, don't smash your toes. Okay, TJ's got it. Good. But TJ, do you think you could go very far with that? No. He said no. Okay. AJ. Now, AJ, let's see what you got. Don't, don't smash your toes now. Okay, he's got it too. But could you go very far? No. Okay, good. Good. Okay. Now, we could get them both on it. If we got both of these guys on this, they could pick it up and probably go a little farther. They, they would not still make the Walther Center. So we need a tool that would help them, right? Now, you guys both try to pick that up. Now, here's the thing. They're humans. They could talk together. They could make a plan. Now, beasts of burden cannot talk together. In fact, oxen 
One ox, if you just gave him a low like this, one ox would head this way to the food trough. The other ox would be looking for his mate over here. They'd be going in different directions. So I want you guys to pick that up. Try to carry it. But look, you're going to go this way and you're going to go that way because you're oxen, right? Okay, so go ahead. Try to work on it. See, they're fighting each other. They're pulling against each other. They're not going to get anyway. Okay, set that down. Watch your toes. Now, this is where we're going to introduce the yoke. Okay, so what these guys are going to do, I've got a 45-pound bar here. And these guys are going to pick that up, and you're going to put it on your shoulder. And you're both going to face this way. And with the yoke now, we're going to see what kind of work we can get done. Okay? So you guys pick that up, take out the slack in the line, and you're going to get that on your shoulder. Okay? There you go. Okay, now let's see how far we can go with that. See, now all of a sudden we've got a yoke. They could, you, could you guys carry that to the Walther Center? <laughs> we won't make them do that, but they could. Keep on going, guys. And we'll, we'll just set it down right here on the carpet. Right here would be fine. That's perfect. Perfect. You see, a yoke has... You guys can have a seat. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> a yoke has some positive things to it too it's not just a symbol of slavery but a yoke is actually a tool that enables more work to get done so just as you've seen it right here a yoke gives purpose and direction two oxen just hooked to a cart without a yoke are going to go in two different directions they're going to spill the load over on the side one's going to have one purpose another's going to have another purpose a yoke gives purpose and direction it unifies a yoke also spreads the load. So whereas one person could not pick this up and carry it very far, two maybe, but they're fighting against each other. When they're together, uh, they can pick it up, they can carry it. It becomes, more, uh, more, uh, it becomes easier for them to carry it around. And where they couldn't maybe go 25 yards, now they can walk uh, down to the Walther Center if they needed to. There's a lot of positive things here, but we've got to ask our question this. Why would Christ's yoke be any different than any other yoke? And here's the last point, and I think the secret to this whole thing. If you're stressed, and you're burdened, you're worried, you don't know how you're going to make your school bill and pay for food this month, whatever it would be in your life, there are family problems, or uh, you feel like you have too much going on, here is the secret to the whole thing. Everybody is yoked to something. Christ has a yoke too, but here's what makes it all work. On Christ's yoke, he's in the yoke with you. See, the yoke of legalism, the law is not getting in the yoke with you. And when you have outward conformity and you're trying to look like the best you, the, the most holy person in the school, whatever it would be, nobody's getting in that yoke with you. And it's just you struggling with the 135 pounds. I'm going to do it the best I can. You're not going to make it. And if you come over here to license, sin is not going to help you in that yoke. You're yoking yourself to something that cannot help you. As a matter of fact, this is going to bring you down. And you can have that 135 pounds, and again, you're struggling, and you're not going to get anywhere, you're going to fail. But in Christ's yoke, he's already in the yoke. He's waiting for you. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me conclude with just this last story from the Bible. Do you remember Moses? Find in your Bible Exodus 33 in verse 12 through 14. I want you to notice this in closing. Moses was born in Egypt. He was decreed to death. Yet God made a way for him in the Pharaoh's palace to be raised by his own mother. God had a special purpose and task for Moses' life. A great burden, in fact. Moses spent 40 years there in Egypt. We know the story. Killed an Egyptian. Spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. Saw the burning bush and answered God's call. And God began to reveal to him what the special task he had for him was. You're going to go into the greatest nation on earth. You're going to go up to the most powerful man on earth. You're going to ask for that man to let go of this slave group that is within this nation. Never in the history of the world has it happened before or since that a nation that was a slave group inside of another nation has been brought out and made a nation for themselves. And yet, Moses, that's your task. Moses is a man who led millions of people into the wilderness with no food and water. Moses is a man who, when that nation went astray, while he was up getting the law, receiving, let's not play that part down. Moses received the covenant of God for our whole nation and was charged with carrying that out. I struggled to carry out a handbook across the parking lot. And yet Moses received the whole covenant defining who this nation was to be, and he carried it out. Moses, when the nation was breaking that covenant before they even got it, worshiping a golden calf, Moses was the man who went up to God and said, take my life instead of theirs. He intervened on behalf of this nation. This is who Moses was. Now, he had a great task. And he was given a huge load to carry. And he was under a heavy yoke. But you know how he made it through? Look in Exodus 33, verse 12. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Have you ever felt that way with what God is calling you to do in your life? Some of you are called to be missionaries and pastors, pastors' wives, teachers, musicians. God has given you a calling and a vision. Have you ever considered, how do I even do that? And God, you, you've, you've called me to do something, but Lord, you're saying you're with me in all of these things, but I don't feel like you're with me. I wish you could really prove it to me. I wish you could really show it to me. That's how Moses is feeling. You've given me this great thing to do. You say you know me by name, but how is this going to work? He says, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, notice this, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. That's important too. And then he says this, God responding to Moses, my presence shall go with thee. And notice what he says, and I will give thee rest. It's exactly what Jesus said, isn't it? Come unto me, ye that are laden and heavy burdened, 
I will give you rest, right? Here's the secret to the whole thing. If you're stressed and you're burdened and you're worried, this, the answer is not over here getting yoked to legalism. The answer is not over here getting yoked to license. The answer is getting yoked to Christ. Show me your way, Lord. This is your task, Lord, that you're calling me to do. And Lord, if you'll go with me, I'll go. Because in you, there is rest.